Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Alyssa Callan's wide-open romances, whether set in the Australian outback or Montana mountains, give a bright lift to the darkest day. That's what her readers tell her, and she couldn't have a more rewarding response. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Alyssa talks about what she loves most about writing rural and small town fiction, and why she's thrilled her books are in school libraries. But before we get to Alyssa, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Alyssa's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and leave a review so others will find us too. But now, here's Alyssa. Hello there, Alyssa, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Jenny. It's such a pleasure to be here. Look, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction as distinct from other things you might have written? And if so, what was the catalyst for it? Um, I think I'm that stereotypical writer that was that childhood um, reader. And um, if I look back, I probably read too many books and probably needed to get another life. Um, But I was a very um, avid reader as a child slash bookworm. And then I did um, English at university because that was my thing. And um, I've always sort of wanted to write and I have dabbled with writing but it wasn't um, sort of a definitive decision that I needed to do this. Um, I have four children and somehow I had time amongst um, raising my children and I thought, oh, I might actually put pen to paper and um, I did. And I've grown up in the country. Um, I live on a small farm now. So it was sort of only natural that my um, stories played themselves out against a rural backdrop. So um, I have also lived in America and I love sort of the mountains over there. So I'm just really lucky that what I love to write is actually what the market will read um, because I can't imagine myself um, writing anything else. So I think I've always, words have always been my thing. And um, it's really interesting because I come from a family of scientists and very an, 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 a lot of very analytical brains and um, I'm sort of the odd one out. So, um, but it is interesting because um through the wonders of DNA, we've actually found a missing branch of my family tree and um, they're, they're, that's where I fit. There's a, a professor in medieval literature. There is um, another um, person who writes. So I think writing's always just been in me and um, who I am. So um, I think it's wonderful that um, here I am, I can write my books. Fantastic. Now, you describe them as small town and rural fiction, but they are really sweet romance stories when you look at the heart of them, aren't they? They are. I think it's very interesting because um, I do write for the two markets and um, and I and I find that um, 
So small town stories and rural fiction in Australia are interchangeable, really. Um, rural fiction has such a wide spectrum. You can have small town books, you can have medical rural romance, you can have medical, um, sorry, suspense as well as rural fiction. So um, in Australia, um, there's such a wide umbrella. Um, but in, then for the American market, they don't have the term rural romance. So it's just basically small town. So, but their, their core ingredients are very similar. And I think that um, they are essentially romance. Um, in another life, I was a counsellor and um, I do know that life doesn't deliver, you know, the happily ever after for everyone. So um, I was drawn to a genre that it doesn't matter what my characters go through, at the end there's that uplifting and feel-good ending because I know in real life that things don't always um, turn out that way. So I wanted a really sort of a nice uplifting genre and um but in saying that, I do often find, particularly for my single titles, that um, I do deviate a little bit and um, so they are sweet romance, um, but I also do have a thread of something else in it. Um, my current book that I'm working on, I actually have a missing person thread. Um, the book that will be out in February, there's actually a World War II thread and surprisingly there's um, a book called The Red Dirt Road that has a DNA thread. Um, so I do find they are sweet romances, but I do try for my longer titles to add that little extra um, layer of something interesting. Yes, and quite often I've noticed that your protagonists are seeking healing or restoration in the country environment. There's quite a theme of putting broken lives back together again and that people retreat to the piece of the country to kind of uh, lick their wounds and and regroup, recharge their energy. Is that is that is that how you see the country as somewhere where people can get restoration? I think so, and I hope so because um, I mean I do live in the country, and I I do know people who who get a lot of solace and and have sort of healed basically coming to the wide open spaces. I think. Um, I think there's something, and I'm, there's lots of studies done, um, but even just for stress release, they say that walking in a natural environment can be very soothing and cathartic. And I think that out here in the country, that's what we have buckets of. I mean, out my window, I've got a beautiful country garden, if I don't look at the weeds. <laughs> I've got beautiful skies. Um, there's no one around me. Um, so there is that sort of sense of peace. Um, and I think that um, people... People's journey takes them to many different places and not everything um, will resonate with every pe every person. But I think um, being in a natural world and having space um, and sometimes solitude can actually be very um, helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly there's been a real burgeoning of that, the rural setting for both romance and mysteries in Australia in the last decade. I mean, I think back, there just weren't those sorts of books around, I suppose, about roughly 10 years ago, maybe a weenie bit longer. But now there's a large number, and mainly women writers actually, but probably some men as well, I'm probably more aware of the women, who are making a really good um, fist of, you know, that rural setting, aren't they? They are. There's lots of um, very interesting theories about um, why the rural genre, in, particularly in Australia, um, has such a um, strong fan base. Um, one theory is that it came out of the global financial crisis and so chiclet was very popular at that time. And so all the shopping and having cocktails and sort of um, a lighter side of life Readers didn't want to read that. Um, you know, people were hurting and um, the economy was um, tight and people wanted to read about sort of times where things were more predictable and more stable and where community was actually really important. So that's one theory that um, readers sort of 
really were drawn to the rural genre because it goes right back to the basics of um, having a community, having people rally around you. It's not all about shopping and um, champagne. And um, I think it's just been wonderful that it, the genre has lasted for so long. And um, there are a lot of authors, male and female, and um, sometimes authors will deviate into another genre, but then they come back to rural. And um, I think that hopefully um, the rural genre will have um, a lot of longevity. I find when I go to libraries that the librarians are always saying that um, they're still hugely popular and um, they're borrowed quite a lot. So um, I hope that rural is here to stay for a little bit longer. Yeah, look, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that um idea put forth but it certainly makes sense that you know in a time of financial difficulty you're not so inclined to want to sit around and read about people frittering away money yeah yes exactly mm. and I think yeah and I mean that's sort of a global thing really and I think even though it wasn't called rural um, fiction or rural romance in America that's where the shift to um, it's always been strong but that's where the small town um stories um, were popular as well and remain so. So, yeah, it's very interesting when you sort of look back and there are other, um, obviously there's different explanations as well, but that's one that I heard and I think that actually makes sense because readers do say that they really like that the stories are grounded in reality, that um, there is that community aspect and that um, it doesn't really matter what happens, that there is that uplifting ending. And um, I think it's lovely to know that um, the type of stories that um, rural fiction authors write, they do resonate with readers and um, that they do sort of provide what that reader is looking for. Yes. Um, from what I can see, you've got three series at least running at the moment. You've got the Towns of Windmills series that's set in Western New South Wales, not far from Dubbo, which I think is close to where you live yourself. Then there's Wildflower Ranch set in Montana. And then there's Outback Dust, which obviously is, well, I think it's in the Outback. I must admit I haven't read any of those. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about how they evolved and which came first? Yeah, well, I think basically, I mean, I write that old adage, write what you know. <laughs> so that's yeah. basically what my books are. So so The Outback Dust was actually my very first, um, and it didn't start out as a series, it was my very first published uh, print rural. And um, I live outside Dubbo on a small farm now, but um, at the time of writing that book, I actually lived um, two hours further west um, where it's very flat and <laughs> we were in the middle of a drought Um so that story, and it is a route story, um, that was my first accepted um, rural. And then when they asked for another one, I just love series and I think that readers do as well. And so I sort of then wrote a second story in that same world, in that same town. Um, and then meanwhile, I was then writing for my American publisher and um, that's actually quite real, quite an interesting aspect because um my original book, which was called Cherish Me Cowboy, was part of one of their series. And what they did was they actually created a fictitious town and they had a whole lot of authors then write stories about that town. So it was quite fascinating. Everyone sort of put their own take on what would happen and what characters they wanted there. So then my book that was in part of their first Rodeo or part of a Rodeo series and was my first book, then was the start of my own series off that um, original series. And so that was my Wildflower Ranch. So I went on to write five more books and uh, two of those are Christmas stories and were part of um, a Christmas series with my American publisher. 
Um, but I really loved that series and um, I'm actually going to be writing a Texan series, um, hopefully next year, um, because the publisher has created a new town in Texas and um, we're going to do the same thing. So that was quite fascinating because I was actually working in conjunction with other authors on the, on the series. So some of the books, we would have a loop and we would discuss things like the weather and what actually happened at the Rodeo or or happened at the Christmas stroll, and then other books in the series were my own um, sort of own stories, and but they were all linked together to form my wildflower ranch. I do actually have a historical um, a series planned. I, I don't know when I will write it, but it's actually about how all the ranches got their names. So I'm hopeful to revisit that when I have some time. And then for my Australian print publisher, who are HarperCollins, um, and I published with the Mirror Imprint. Um, my first book was The Long Paddock, and then. I hadn't really, I pitched it hoping it would turn into a series and I'm just so thankful that it has. And um, I'm just writing the last book now, which will be my sixth. So that's four um, full-length standalones and two novellas. And um, I think um, I am, I sort of call myself a hybrid. So I do plot, but I do also pants. So the first story, I just threw in all these random characters, hoping that they would have their story one day. And then as I progressed into my series, I realised I actually had to write these character stories and I made one a doctor and one a vet and I didn't really know what their stories were. Um, but luckily it, it's all worked out. So um, so The Outback Dust is my first one. It's a two-book series set further west. Um, my sixth book, a Montana series, and I have lived in the Rocky Mountains, so I really enjoyed writing that. Um, hopefully um, might have an historical series attached to it then I will have an upcoming Texas series and then my book that I'm writing will finish off my town of windmills and then I have to think of a whole new town and a whole whole new setting and series. So, um, But because I like writing series, I think that's quite interesting and um, I think it, um, I probably always write series, to be honest. Um, that's if um, there was a readership because um, I think they add so many layers to a story if you know that the characters that you meet will then have their own journey. Yes, yes, I agree. Look, in the town of windmills, they have this intriguing practice of wrapping windmills in knitting. And and I'd never heard of that or even thought of it as a possibility. And I, I wonder, does that really happen? And uh, is there a town with a lot of windmills in <laughs> western New South Wales? I just wondered how much reality was in that little, that funny little vignette, yeah. which comes I, up, pops up now and then. Yes, it does. I think, I mean, I write what I know and um, I'm, I, I do, um, it's funny because when I research, I don't actually make lots of notes. It's almost like that I just absorb everything and then when I'm writing, suddenly pops into my, something pops into my head. So there is actually a little town half an hour from Dubbo called Gilgandra and it's called the Town of Windmills. Um, so that's sort of where I had, I love that concept that there was a Town of Windmills. Um, the, the name Woodley, I hadn't realised um, there's a beautiful property um, on the way to Canberra and it has the most lovely sort of ornate gates, but it's um, the driveway has never been used for a long time. So it's all overgrown and the, the gates are sort of covered in weeds. And I and I used to always look at that place when I would drive past. And on my last trip, I actually looked at it and I realised it's called Woodley Park. So I'd obviously... <laughs> The name had obviously just popped into my head when I was thinking of Town of Windmills. So Gilgandra is the real Town of Win Windmills. Um, in terms of the yarn bombing, it is actually a, um, a worldwide phenomenon. Um, sometimes they're called guerrilla knitters or there's underground knitting clubs. It, um, so actually it's it's almost like graffitiing the landscape and it actually started in London when someone sort of um, knitted and crocheted some things and put them on a post or something and it's just spread everywhere. If you Google yarn bombing, there's just some of the most incredible pictures. Um, because I live in a town um, that's associated with the zoo, the Western Plains Zoo is our main tourist attraction, 
we have a lot of um, rhinos, um, sort of, uh, I guess, sculptured rhinos um, around the town. And one day I was just walking down Main Street shopping and someone had yarn-bombed the rhino and he had this blanket. <laughs> and then the trees beside, someone had wrapped all the trunks in all these lovely crocheted squares. Um, so I took some photos and I just thought this is just so amazing that it actually, yarn-bombing was in Dubbo. So um, they didn't stay up for very long. Someone had obviously come down and taken them. But but there's, there's quite a movement, I think, um, probably not so much nowadays, but definitely if you Google yarn bombing and especially on Pinterest, it's just incredible what people have yarn bombed. Um, I've seen old tractors yarn bomb covered in wool and crocheted. So it was just, I really liked the concept and thought it was really fun. So, um, yeah, so I think that's why my windmills always get wrapped up in wool or, or covered. And I, as I like adding layers to my books, I think um, in the various stories I write, the yarn bombing actually takes on significance because in one book there's an upcoming wedding and so all the creations that the town is draped in are all white. Um, yeah. When there's the rodeo, yeah. So I think I just like adding that symbolism as well. So I have a lot of fun with my yarn bombing. I can't knit, I can crochet, but, um, yeah, I'd like to think that, um, that yeah, yarn, yarn bombing still is around in lots of places. That's amazing. I have never heard of it before, so you learn something every day. That's <laughs> Um, also, the other sort of aspect of your work, it, uh, this growing movement of what they call clean romance, if, you, if you're following the trends in publishing, clean romance seems to be a quite, it's a bit of a backlash probably against the um, Fifty Shades of Grey sort of s swing slightly more to the S&M end of the scale a few years ago. But character and emotion-driven romance that stays out of the bedroom and your books would also fit into this category. The emotional and relational aspects are very, very strong, but generally speaking, there's very little active sex. Is that something that you obviously have made as a choice for yourself or is it something your publisher suggested or...? Um, I think I think again, if, if I'm I'm sort of that stereotypical, very quiet, introverted writer, and that's in my comfort zone. So it was never a conscious decision to write quick, clean romance. It's just that's what I'm comfortable with. That's what yeah. I read. Um, yeah. So and I'm just I'm yeah very thankful that the market um, actually um, has embraced that because um, I think for a while there when um, Fifty Shades of Grey was doing so well, everyone was writing erotica, and I thought that's just not my wheelhouse. So um, I'm it's lovely how things do. The pendulum does swing and and. And, um, and that clean romance is so popular. I think I'm all about the journey, so not so much about the destination. So for me, it is very emotional and that relationship is the core of what I really like writing about. Um, because it's a romance, at the end, you know, everyone do, does end up together, but that's sort of not my focus. It's it's that journey to get there. Um, I do have teenagers and um, my books are actually in their school library. So my, yeah. my daughter yeah. will say, oh, Mum, I saw someone reading your book on the bus and I'm just so thankful that I don't write books that are a bit more steamy because I'm sure my daughter would be dreadfully embarrassed if someone came up and said, this is what your mother wrote in a book. So um, I think it's who I am intrinsically that um, I'm just comfortable writing a cleaner um, romance. I would prefer to focus, as I said, on the journey, not so much the destination. Um, I do have sensuality in there and a little bit of tension, but it's not really, um, it's not what, not why I write and that's not the main focus. Um, but um, I just, it's really lovely that clean romance is embraced and I have seen that, um, yeah, in America that um, a lot of, there are a lot of readers that like that. So that's really encouraging. Yes, yes. You mentioned about the collaboration on Christmas stories and the US, and I've noticed that you've also done an Australian 
collaboration, four authors producing an anthology of Christmas stories called A Very Country Christmas. Um, Have you enjoyed doing those? And is there a market for those? Yeah, I really love that. I think um, because I I do like my Christmas stories, um, it's been really good because I think working with my American publisher, um, they're primarily digital. We do have print books, but it's more print on demand. So they have that flexibility of of putting together box sets and um, just they're very savvy at how they um, market their books. and, And when they find a niche opening, off they go. And I think also what's very interesting in America is um, things like Netflix and Hallmark, um, there is a shift towards putting romances into film and they particularly like their holiday stories. So that's sort of like an untapped market and one that's only growing. So my American publisher has been very proactive about um, having uh, Christmas stories submitted, actively marking them, marketing them, and some of them, I think there's four of them, have been actually turned into Christmas um, movies, which is really, really good. So it was really nice to know that um, on my home front back in Australia that my print publisher is also aware of the popularity of um, Christmas stories. And um, so last year they asked um, whether or not I wanted to write one and um, I just thought it was such a great idea. So it's really interesting because in that book, um, three of them were actually already published as e-books. And um, so my story and um, Victoria Perman's story um, were new, new Christmas stories, but they were also sort of loosely connected to our series. So it was a really good concept by our print publisher. It came out as a print book. Um, and then they've actually done the same this year. Um, and it's I think it's called, I'm just trying to think what it is, um, it's not a very country Christmas, but it's something very similar to it. But mm-hmm. um, there's some really, um, really, really lovely stories in there. So they've done the same thing. And I think it's just just such a really um, lovely concept because at Christmas people do want to read stories and they're short and they're quick. Um, so um, they're not, you, when time is limited around Christmas, there's something that you can get into the Christmas spirit reading. And as you say, that that one the one last year in a very country Christmas would introduce readers also to some of the characters in your series. So it's it, it acts as a little bit of a prequel or a taster for some of the other full length books, which is not not um not not bad news. You know, it's good. Yeah, I think that's really good because I think that's savvy as well because I think it's that cross pollination between readerships and. Um, Yes. So from a marketing point of view, it's really good. Um, but it's also good that the readers are embracing um, that concept because um, I think they've all, in the past they've done anthologies but never um, novellas, five of them in one book. So that was really nice and um, hopefully there'll be another one out next year. Fantastic. Look, turning to your wider career away from talking about the specific books, you're now a very busy country mother and full-time writer, but tell us a little bit about your life before you got into full-time writing. (laughs) Um, It seems so long ago now. Um, So I think... so I have I have been to university. I've got two degrees and two diplomas. Um, I was um, I did study to do teaching and counselling, but to be honest, I never actually worked as those things. <laughs> um, I did I did for a brief while. So I, I shouldn't say that I have been a teacher and a counsellor, but for a very short while because um, once I had my first child, well then basically I um, that was my priority was raising my family. So um, my oldest is now twenty one. So so realistically, for the last twenty one years. <laughs> I've been a stay-at-home mum and um, I've really enjoyed 
yet. Um, my youngest is now 15, so we've still got three years of school to go. Um, so, so in my other life before marriage and children, I also did a lot of travel and um, and a lot of work overseas. And um, I lived on a Christmas tree farm. I lived in a beautiful Georgian house in um, London. Um, I've lived in lots of incredible places that I find now sort of actually um, inspire me to write stories. And I would actually love to write a UK set story um, on my to-do list one day. And, and also I'd love to write a Christmas one set in the UK. So I think my life, my life before writing actually is quite a long time ago. And um, it was a, it was a lovely life, but I think that's the thing that I always knew that I really wanted to write. Um, so um, I just, yeah, university, I did things as a plan B. And um, then I had my family, which was my priority. And um, then when I actually surprisingly found myself with a little bit of time, I actually would put my pen to paper and um, and so I'm, yeah, really lucky and thankful to be able to write full time and um, still be a, a stay-at-home mum to my kids. Yeah, yeah. Look, if there's one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other, what would you say that it was in terms of uh, you enjoying the success that you're now enjoying? Um, I think... Um, yeah, I think I'm because I'm a very quiet person, I need to learn to be a lot more assertive. So I think, and I think the promotional side of writing is sometimes can be quite confronting as well um, on social media as well as face-to-face. So I think um, I really enjoy my writing, but I think if, yeah, when if if I had my time again, I'd probably learn to be a lot more assertive and to be more of an advocate for myself. I think I'm not a natural risk taker and I probably should have backed myself um, instead of sort of settling for things that I knew would not be good for me, but I just want a publishing security. So I think um, I really enjoy um, my writing where I am at now, but hindsight's always a wonderful thing. And there's probably a few different turns I would have made <laughs> at the beginning. Um, and I'm sure, um, who's to say that I would have not ended up in the same place I am now. But I think I think writing, there's so much more to a writing career than just putting fingers to the keyboard and, and being that storyteller that is inside you. I think there's so many other business hats. And um, if you're not naturally um, that way inclined, um, it can be a very steep learning curve. Yes, I heard somewhere, I read somewhere the other day that writing the book is 40% of the business and marketing and, and understanding marketing and promoting and and the publishing side of it is basically 60%. I felt a bit disheartened when I heard that actually because <laughs> I just finished writing something and thought I was pretty good at the idea of finishing something and then discovered it was almost like you've only got the house half complete. But. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I think that's a thing. I mean, I think lots of some authors um, really embrace the public speaking side, and um, so I find it fascinating that because authors, there's such a diverse range of personalities. So I think, um, but I have found a nice little niche where I sit. Um, I don't do too many um, public uh, publicity events face to face. I find panels. I love being on panels because I've got other people. Um, to to talk with and um and I'm quite happy doing things online I do I do find that I do limit social media though I find I just would like to do one one well and not um spread myself too thinly across things like Twitter and Instagram so um I do tend to sort of I think I think writers find their little safe place where it, it they get their marketing done but it's at the same time it doesn't detract from um their ability to write and um and the time that they have to write yes yes yeah um, what's your favourite way to relax and unwind? <laughs> um, I wish I could say I, I would read more. I've got um, a whole pile of books that I need to read. And in the past, which is quite ironical really, 
um, that before I was a writer, I was definitely a reader and that was my go-to relaxation. Now I've become a writer. It's not so not so easy to relax that way because I think I should be writing my own book. Um, I do actually, because I think I've spent time overseas and worked, I love travel. And um, so if I'm not um, planning gap years for my children or doing sneaky itineraries for myself one day, <laughs> um, I'm reading about where I'd love to go. And I find that sort of, uh, it's, it, in a way, I think you can, I think writing is quite a great career because you can actually um, label lots of things as research. <laughs> so when I'm researching beautiful, you know, Swiss towns, I'm thinking I might write a book there one day um, where I was really would just love to visit. So I, I do walk every day. Um, I have my animals um, and um, I just I just lead a very quiet life. I do eat far too much chocolate. <laughs> Um, but I think I think um, that in the past I used to always read and now I think that um, yeah I try and because I think writing is so sedentary I try and relax more by actually moving so going outside and um, doing things like that yeah yeah look turning to Alyssa as reader because it is called the joys of binge reading we focus a lot on series reading um Tell us a little bit about your taste in fiction and if you've got any recommendations for people who might want to find some new author to binge read. I, I think that's the thing. Um, I do love binge reading and I think um, I went through a Lewis L'Amour Western phase when I was at university and I still to this day have every single book that he owns. <laughs> I do find that if I find a series and I love it, I do, I'm, I'm that, which is great because that's what you would love readers to do to your books is that if I yes. read one, I love it, I just go through the whole series. So actually my bookshelves are actually full of series and of books. Um, <laughs> I'm quite, a, quite eclectic now because I think I write rural. I still love reading other rural authors, but I find that I'm drawn to sort of probably more historicals at the moment. Um, um, Alison Butler writes beautiful medieval historicals and she has a series. Um, I also like Anne Gracie and Anna Campbell. Um, I also have so many writing friends that write the most beautiful books. Um, a lot of them are published with my publisher, which is um, HarperCollins, and it's either under the mirror or the HQ in print. Um, so I think that's the thing. Um, Rachel Johns, I love her Life Lit books as well. So I think I'm quite diverse and eclectic at the moment um, because I think that um, – there's so many great books out there and, and a friend will say, oh, uh, this is my idea. So I sort of know the idea before the book starts and then I can't wait to read the book when it's actually finished. So um, I think <laughs> there's so many I could recommend, but I think, um, if yeah, most of them are with my publisher, um, HarperCollins. So I think, um, yeah, I'm at the moment, I'm in, going through a historical phase and um, I'm sure um, in a couple of months um, I might change to something else. I won't probably change to crime because I'm one of these people that has to know the ending and if it's too too um, frightening or scary, um, I won't be reading. So I think that's the thing. My husband and my mother-in-law um, love their crime books, but that's probably a genre that I probably won't shift to <laughs> in the very near future. <laughs> We're starting to come to the end of our time together. But so circling back, looking at your life from where you're standing now, at this stage in your career, if you were having to do it all over again, what would you change, if anything? I think I th I'm, no one knows how the cards land and how, how things progress. But I think if I look back, I probably should have had have backed myself more and probably just just probably been a little more savvy, um, which is very hard to do when you're, uh, you know, a new writer, not knowing the industry and not knowing sort of how it all works. But I think one of the things that I'm really thankful that I did actually do was I joined Romance Writers of Australia and um, they, I found my tribe and they had the resources and they had the expertise to guide me. And I think probably should, I should have found them earlier, I think. Yes. Um, because that way I would just have that um, support and, um 
And if anyone ever has a question, they just get on the Facebook group. And there's one, the Romance Ride of New Zealand are fabulous as well. I'm a member of them and I came to the conference last year in Auckland, which I absolutely loved and I'm hoping to come back again to Christchurch. Um, so I think it's that community and everyone is just so helpful and supportive that I think I wrote in isolation for a long time. Um, I think the first book I wrote, I didn't even really know about point of view. And so I wrote this whole book, Head Hopping. So I think <laughs> I should have probably, I was writing because I just loved writing. So I probably should have been a bit more, had a business hat on, been a bit more savvy. Um, when I had decisions to make, I probably should have backed myself a bit more and and waited instead of jumping in um, really early. But I've just, I've got no complaints. I love where I am and I'm very thankful, um, yeah, that I, I have can write full time. Um, but I guess hindsight's all, always wonderful and you always think, oh, what if I'd done this? Um, but I think the thing is, um, yeah, if for any aspiring writers out there, just to find your tribe and to find a support network that has expertise as well as um um, that emotional sort of support when someone says, oh, you know, I can't get, I've got a plot hole and I can't get through. There'll be someone with a great idea that will be able to help you through it. So I think that's the thing that um, writing in isolation is not always the best thing to do. And also just um, taking off that creative writing hat and putting on a more commercial business hat um, can be very useful um, at crucial times. Yes, sure. And romance writers, I must say, they're very strong on both of those. They're strong on the craft, but I've always respected how savvy they are about the marketing and, and promoting side of it. They always have people speaking at their conferences who, you know, the editors or agents coming down who, who really report on what's going on in the market as well. It's really good. I think that's, and I think that's the key thing because um, the conferences, both the uh, Romance Writers New Zealand as well as Romance Writers of Australia have, they actually give you access. There's pitching opportunities to the editors and the publishers and that's how I sold my first book. So um, nowadays um, you can do a lot more online submissions, which I'm probably more comfortable with. It's not face-to-face, -face, but it's actually... It, it's actually that opportunity to meet people and to actually pitch your story, which is is just gold because um, if you live in an isolated area, which like I did, there's no way that I would be able to go to Sydney and then go talk to a publisher because I just that's just not something um, that I would have done. So I think those organisations, they support that. They're a lovely community for all the support, but they also, it's those, it's that accessibility to the people that you need to grow your career um, that they provide, and um, that's just something that um, that you can't really find elsewhere. Yeah, sure. So, what is next for Alyssa, the writer? You have mentioned in passing what some of the things you're working on, but now give us a clear idea for your next twelve months. What are you going to be working on? Okay, so for today, <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got so my to do list. Um, I have a my fifth story in my current Town of Windmill series is a um, novella and I am to do my final read through, read through and press send to my um, publisher so it's gone. I never have to think about it again. <laughs> <laughs> then I have a um, I have 100,000 single title book to complete by March which was my sixth book and it's called The Boundary Fence and I'm having a lot of fun with this one because it does have that missing person thread but um, I've got it instead of I do have the normal rural sort of community it's again it's the town of windmills um, town called Woodley but I've got a bison farm so I'm having a lot of fun um, and there is actually a bison farm at Dubbo so I'm having a lot of fun having a little fresh um, sort of approach to a rural story so that will be completed by March <laughs> um, and then I do have um, the first book in my Texan series which will actually be a Christmas story um, to deliver and um, then I will also have 
So by this time next year, I should also have done um, at least half of um, my new book um, for my uh, print publisher, which I have no idea what it will be because it will be the start of a whole new series. So <laughs> that's the unknown. So I think I've got a very, very busy writing year, which I love, and um, hopefully by the end of it I will have um, written all that I need to and that I'll be able to um, relax and enjoy my Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Where can readers find you online and do you enjoy interacting with your readers? I love re- love interacting with my readers. Um, unfortunately, my footprint on social media is not very big. As I said, I, I prefer to just stick to one platform but do it do it well. So um, you can contact me or chat to me or do whatever you'd like on Facebook. I have a profile, Alyssa Callan, or I have an author page, Alyssa Callan Author. I also have a website and um, I do have a very occasional newsletter if anyone would like to stay up to date with cover reveals or news or giveaways and that can easily be joined at my um, website which is just alyssacallan.com. Um, on that website you can also follow me on BookBub or Amazon um, which is always a good way if you don't um, want to have a newsletter they'll just send you a new release alert whenever I have a new book out but um, I do love um, hearing from readers I've had some incredible letters or emails um, and also messages on Facebook and um, I think that's the thing that without readers um, writers <laughs> we're not really writers because um, we can tell a story but we just need to know how it resonates um, with others um, and that's why I love having feedback from people. What's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to you in terms of your readers? I think um there was a reader that was actually going through a very, very difficult time in her life and, and the reason why I write and why I mentioned before about the uplifting feel-good stories is that I'd like to, I suppose it's my counselling hat, I'd like to sort of help somebody and um, she had been going through an incredibly different time, difficult time and she wrote to me, she said she picked up one of my books and she just read it from cover to cover and that it actually gave her respite and it took her away from her problems and it made her feel happy. So I think that's something that's really powerful and I think that's, that's something that is just so lovely to know that I've actually helped somebody and, um, yeah, and I think that was that's one of my special letters. That's lovely and it's a great place to finish. Thank you so much for your time today, Alyssa. It's been wonderful talking and um, you certainly sound as if you've got a very, very full and busy writing life. <laughs> I have and I love it. And thank you so much for inviting me to chat. That's wonderful. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone 
as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.